Revelation chapter number 1. And I just want to mention last Sunday's message just briefly, one little point. And then I want to deal with that just a minute. Then I want to bring you to today's thought. No other book in the Bible shows us the glorified Christ like the book of the Revelation. In fact, that's what it means. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ, the unveiling of Christ, who he is, what he has done, what he is doing. And I wonder if there's anybody excited about what he is going to do. As the Lord, through the Holy Spirit, revealed himself to John on the Isle of Patmos, remember he saw the bride, God's divine people. He saw not only the bride, but he saw the book, God's divine plan. But he saw the beloved, God's divine person. And we've been looking at this first chapter on the glory of Christ, who he is, what he is, what he has done, what he is doing, and what, praise God, he is going to do. We looked at the certified Christ in verse 5, the glory of his name. He's Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the first begotten of the dead, the prince of the kings of the earth. And I want to add to that, there ain't nobody like him. I'm glad for his glorious name. Then we looked at his gracious work, that not only is he the certified Christ, but He's the compassionate Christ unto him that loved us. He's the cleansing Christ unto him that watched us. He's the converting Christ unto him that made us. And then last Sunday we looked in verse number 7 and 8 at the coming Christ. Behold, he cometh with clouds. And we looked at his glorious name, his gracious work. And today for several weeks we're going to look at his grand return. And he is the coming Christ. And he can accomplish all of that because in verse 8 and then in verse 18, we'll reach for a moment, he is the conquering Christ. He is not the figment of an imagination. He is not the martyr of a Bible story. He's the conquering Christ. He is the Lord of glory. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. And he has no superior. And you cannot live him, you cannot love him, and you cannot give him, and you cannot do him. Well, glory. As far as you can look back in eternity past, he's God. And no matter how bad it looks morally, politically, religiously today, he's still God. And as far as you can see out in the future and way beyond, he'll still be God. He didn't used to be the Savior. He's the Savior and he always will be the Savior, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I want you to go back quicker to verse number 8. And I just want to tap this before I move into our thought today because I don't want Brother Kirk to really have any ammunition to tell everybody that I preached through the book of the Revelation in one chapter in one day. But we dealt with the certainty of his coming when he said, Behold, he cometh with clouds. We dealt with the cloud of his coming. He's coming in the clouds of glory. Then we dealt with the confirmation of his coming. Every eye shall see him. They which pierced him shall see him. But then the latter part of that, I didn't have time last Sunday to deal with what I call the celebration of his coming. 
And by the way, ladies and gentlemen, that is an event that we will celebrate when Jesus comes again. And notice the last part of verse number 7, these celebration words that John the Beloved says in the light of his soon coming. And notice what it said, Behold, he come with the clouds, every eye shall see him, they also which pierced him. And all the kindreds of the earth shall well because of him. Now here it says celebration. You ready? Say it with me. Even so, comma, and then that good Bible Baptist word, amen. They say the word amen means to let it be. I agree. I think it means let it rip tater chip is what it means. And ladies and gentlemen, when it comes to the coming of the Lord, I want to say Amen to that. And by the way, there are several words that are repeated over and over again in the book of the Revelation. For instance, 26 times in 22 chapters, you'll find the word behold. And when it comes to the Lord, when it comes to what God's going to do and has done and is doing, man, it is a sight to behold. Well, that little word, amen, 10 times in the book of the Revelation. Ten different times in these 22 chapters, when John hears what he's going to do, he'll say, Amen, Amen, Amen. I thought about sometimes just preaching on the ten Amens and preaching on God's Amen corner. And by the way, you might as well say Amen when it comes to the coming of the Lord, because He's coming whether we're ready or not. And I just want to say, Amen. When it comes to the fact that he loved me, I want to say amen to that. When it comes to the fact that he cleansed me from my sin, I want to say amen to that. When it comes to taking an old body and making me a somebody, a king and a priest, I just just want to say amen to that. And when it comes to him coming on the clouds of glory to receive us into himself, I want to say amen to that. But as though amen was not enough, John said, I want to emphasize my amen. And he said, I want to emphasize it with these two words, even so, amen. Now, I believe that means, I really mean it, amen. I agree with it, amen. Even so, amen. And I figured that this was one of those repetition statements. And I read the rest of the book, and sure enough, Not only does John say even so here, but he says it three times throughout the book of the Revelation. And when I read the three times John said even so, I went, wow, that's a message within itself. And every one of these even so refers to the coming of the Lord. For instance, in our text, chapter 1 and verse number 7, the preeminence of his coming. John says even so. Amen. Can I remind you the next thing on God's prophetic time clock is not the fulfillment of some sign. And I've heard all my life, it's not in the Bible, but I've heard it all my life. When that last soul that makes up the body of Christ is saved, he's coming. Let me tell you something. That might be the way it's going to happen, but that is not in the Bible. There's not one thing keeping Christ from coming back to us today, not one thing. If nobody gets saved today, that trumpet could sound and Jesus is coming back. Now that makes for a good illustration. That makes for a good thought. 
I've heard preachers say, I'd like to be standing here at the altar and shake hands with that final one that's going to be saved. And I do know know that one day the last person is going to be saved and Jesus is coming. I believe all of that. But that's not hinging on the coming of the Lord. Not one thing needs to be fulfilled. Not one person needs to get saved. Not one thing needs to happen in Israel. Not one more war needs to break out. Not one more star needs to fall out of its place. And we're not even waiting on another pandemic. Nothing has to take place for Jesus to come again except when he stands on that throne, steps on that cloud, comes back to this earth to receive you and I. The preeminence of the coming of Jesus Christ, I want to say, even so, amen. And then I read that phrase again in chapter 16 and verse number 7. Chapter 16, verse number 7, right smack dab in the middle of the tribulation period. And let me just say this to you. If, if you believe that the church is going through the tribulation, uh, that's up to you. Help yourself. Stay here if you want to. But I'm getting out of here. I've been saved from the wrath to come. But right in the middle of the tribulation period, in chapter 16 and verse number 7, one of the strong angels comes out with one of those vials. And one of the judgments in that tribulation period is that all the water will be turned into blood. I mean, can you imagine going to somebody that's left behind? I mean, can you imagine going to the water spigot and there's blood? Going to the wells, going to the oceans, going to the rivers, and there's blood. And in the middle of the tribulation period, when that angel pulls out that vial and the, all the water turns to blood, one of the angels says this to the devil, the Antichrist, the beast, and all the enemies of God. He says, you're worthy of this because you spilt the blood of God's people. You spilt the blood of God's prophets. You spilt the blood of God's redeemed and God's church. And you are worthy of the blood you are about to drink because you are guilty of spilling the blood of God's people. And when I saw verse number 7, it's a good thing I was riding down the road trying to drive a car or I'd have had a Pentecostal spell right there. In fact, it's all I could do to keep it between the ditches. In chapter 16 and verse 7, glory to God, when that angel executes that judgment and turns that water into blood, And that angel says, you're worthy of this because you spilt the blood of God's people, blood of God's prophet. Verse number 7, Brother Shane says, and one of the souls from off of the altar. Let me tell you who that is. That's some, well, glory. That's them raptured saints that are being kept safe in the glory world while that tribulation period is happening on the earth. Because when that's over, we're coming back. Amen. So one of them souls, you preachers that are here, you Bible teachers that are here, have you ever, you know what's coming and you're about to explode before you can say it and you want to shout before you get it out? Well, glory. And in verse number seven, <laughs> hallelujah, when that angel says, You spilt the blood of God's prophets. You spilt the blood of God's martyrs. You're worthy of this blood you're about to drink. 
than one of the souls from off the altar. One of them redeemed spoke up and said, even so, even so. It's kind of like one of the redeemed said, "Mm, give them one for me. Mm, Give them one for the team. It's kind of like when your team is run the touchdown. You know, you didn't catch the ball. You didn't throw the ball. You didn't run in the end zone. And I love avid football fans and backslidden baseball fans and perverted golf fans. But anyway, I love it when you say, we won, we won, we won. You ain't played a play. You ain't played a play. You ain't throw the ball. You ain't caught the ball. I was watching football with Brother Jerry Buffington one day, and this guy got smashed by this 400-pound guy. And I said to Brother Jerry, I said, Oh, Jerry, if somebody was to hit me like that, I'd be at the chiropractor. He said, Preacher, if they hit me like that, I'm going to be at the undertaker. Somebody say amen right there. You, well, we won. We won. No, it ain't we. They won. They won. But that's our team. That's our team. And we may not have caught the ball. We may not have threw the ball. We may not have run it in, but it was for us. Well, honey, one of them raptured souls that's waiting in heaven sees the devil get what's coming to him and he jumps up and says, yeah, give them one for me. Even so, even so to the preeminence of his coming, even so to the purpose of his coming. And then he says it again in chapter 22 in verse number 20. When he announces, Behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me. Boy, I like that, don't you? Can I quote that verse again? Behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me. John said it for the third and final time. Even so, even so, come Lord Jesus. I don't believe John breaks out in a verse of, Wait a little longer, please, Jesus. I believe he says, Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. And can I say today, to the preeminence of his coming, even so. To the purpose of his coming, even so. To the promise of his coming, even so. I'll tell you what I feel like today. Let's have a little audience participation. Repeat after me. You ready? Real loud. Even so. You ready? Even so. Say it real loud. Even so. Say it like a preacher. Even so. And say it like a country preacher and hack when you say it. You ready? Even so. I'm going to make a statement. When I point to you, I want you to say it as loud as you can. Even so. Wait till I point. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him. They also which pierced him, and the kindreds of the earth shall well be cause of him. That means hurry right now. When the angel said, you're worthy of the blood that you're about to drink, because you spilt the blood of the prophets and the martyrs of God's people, And you're getting what you deserve. Here's one for the team. And somebody said, 
Jesus said, Behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me. And the church said, We celebrate the coming of the Lord. We don't say, Lord, stay you coming, stay you coming, stay. No, we don't say, stay you coming. We don't say, tarry your coming. We don't say, hold back your coming. We say, amen, even so, come Lord Jesus Christ. I wonder if there's anybody in this building today, you're longing and waiting and anticipating for the day when you get to see your Savior, Jesus Christ, face to face. What a day that is going to be. Because He is the coming Christ. I want you to come now to verse 8 and verse 18. And I will finish this part out today by preaching on the conquering Christ. He is not only the compassionate Christ, the converting Christ, the cleansing Christ, the certified Christ, the coming Christ, the celebrated Christ. But praise God, He is the conquering Christ. He is not a victim of the cross. He is a victor over the cross. He is not a victim of death. He is a victor over death. He is not a victim of the grave. He is a victor over the grave. Notice how he words it verse 8 and then in verse 18. Notice verse 8. I am. If that was the only words in the text, that would tell you who we're talking about. I am. I am Alpha and Omega. The beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. Aren't you glad today we know who that is? Look down in verse 18. I am he that liveth and was dead. Uh Uh-oh, another one of these. Say it with me. And behold, how many believe the death and the burial and the resurrection of Christ is a sight to behold. I'm he that liveth and was dead and behold, I am alive forevermore. And here's that good word again. Say it with me. Amen. And have the keys of death and hell. That sounds like to me he's the victor. That sounds like to me that he is the one that conquered. He is the one that shall reign forever and forever and forever. Those two little verses of Scripture, I see three wonderful things about this conquering Christ. Number one, I want you to see today the fullness of His person. The fullness of His person. Or let me say it like this, the completeness of who He is. You say, well, where do you get that? Well, read slowly. Verse number eight. I am. I want to say that fills all voids of time. Past, present, and future. Notice he said, I am Alpha and Omega. That is the first letter and the last letter of the Greek alphabet. So he is not only the first, but he's also the last. 
The fullness of his person. Notice what it said in verse number 8. The beginning and the ending. Can I say it all starts with him and it all finishes with him? Let me say it like this. Thou was nothing before him and thou be nothing beyond him. Thou was nobody before him and thou be nobody after him. No one was worthy before him, and no one will be worthy beyond him. Man, if I get hung up right there, we're going to be here the next Sunday. He's always been the shepherd, and he always will be the shepherd. He's always been the Savior, and he always will be the Savior. He's always been the praise and the glory of heaven, and he always will be the praise and the glory of heaven. The fullness of his person. This ain't good English, but this is good preaching. You ready? There ain't nothing that he ain't. And we got English teachers here stroking out right now. But it's good preaching. There ain't nothing that he ain't. There ain't nothing that he is. There ain't nothing that he can't do. There ain't nothing he ain't already done. There's no place where you can't go and there's no place where he ain't already been. Nobody was ever above him and nobody will ever be above him. The angels praised him before we did and they will praise him after us. Lord, have mercy. I loved him the first time I heard about him. And I will get to love him throughout all eternity because the fullness of his person. There's nothing that he ain't. There's no place he's never been. There's no place he cannot go. The fullness of Christ. And and watch how he words it in verse number 8. Alpha, omega, beginning, end, which is, which was, which is to come. I believe that's got the ground covered. Was, is, is to come. Past, present, future. I believe that's full. I I believe it's got it covered. I believe it corresponds to that great verse. Jesus Christ, the same. Yesterday, today, forever. And not just today, yesterday, Forever, but notice, same, the same yesterday, today, and forever. That means he's not changed today from what he was yesterday and not changed tomorrow from what he is today. Glory. Holy, separate, pure, sovereign, undefiled, eternal, precious, amen, almighty, The same Almighty yesterday, the same Almighty today, and the same Almighty tomorrow. I believe it corresponds with Hebrews chapter number 9, the three phases of his appearance and work. He hath appeared to put away sin. He doth now appear to intercede for us, but he shall appear to do away with sin completely. He hath appeared as a lowly Savior to die upon a cross to save us from our sin, but he doth now appear as the shepherd, the bishop of our soul, and our great high priest, and our intercessor, 
And one day he shall appear as the king of every king and, and the Lord forever, and Lord forevermore. And the first time he came, he justified me. And now he is sanctifying me. And one day he's going to glorify me. Man, he justified me from the penalty of sin. He is saving me from the very power of sin and sanctifying me from the power of it. But one day he will glorify me and save me from the very presence of sin. Ladies and gentlemen, when you say, Jesus Christ, you have said it all. The fullness of his person. There's nothing else left to say. There are no holes to plug. There are no questions to answer. There are no doubts to settle. There are no debates to execute. When you say, Jesus Christ, wham, that's it. There's nothing else left to say. Because you can't think of one awesome virtue that he does not possess. You cannot think of one holy quality that isn't already possessed. You can't think of any supernatural power that he already possesses and always has and always will. Can I just say you can't add to it. You can't take it away. You can't beautify it. You can't make it more beautiful. You can't make it more precious. How many agrees with me when you say Jesus Christ, there's nothing else left to say. The fullness of his person, he said it all. But all notice in verse 8 and verse 18, not on the fullness of his person. But notice in these two verses, I love this, the forever of his reign. The forever of his reign. Notice what he says in verse number 8, the end of it, which was, which is to come. And he simply says, the almighty. Say that with me today. The almighty. Notice what he said in down in verse number 18. And I'm he that liveth. And was dead, watch this now, and behold, say this phrase with me, I am alive forevermore. Can I remind you? He will never condescend in the womb of a virgin again. He will never be born in the manger again. He will never be baptized in Jordan again. He will never go to Gethsemane and sweat great drops of blood again. He will never go to Pilate's Hall to be beaten and wounded for our transgressions again. And he will never be impaled to a cross and hung on a hillside for the world to mock him again. They will never shroud him in grave clothes and then put him in a tomb and a stone rolled over the door. They will never do that to Jesus Christ again. Yes, he is coming again. Yes, he will be manifested again. Yes, he will go to the hill again. But can I remind you, it will be different the next time. The first time he came, he came as a baby. But the next time he comes as a king. And the first time he came, they despised him and rejected him. But when he comes again, they'll bow before him and give him praise and give him glory. The first time he come, they impaled him to a cross. But the next time he comes, he will sit high 
upon the throne. And the first time he came, they said, take him away, crucify him. But when he comes the next time, they'll say, oh, hell, the power of Jesus' name for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Can I remind you, kings and politicians and earthly leaders have been born. They have lived. They have reigned. They have died. And their tomb, it still holds their bodies that was left behind. But ladies and gentlemen, Jesus Christ, the King of every king and the Lord of every Lord, He did die. He did go to the grave. But up from the grave, He arose and He lives forever with His saints to reign. He's forever God. He's forever King. He's forever Christ. He reigns forever and ever. And unto his government that's upon his shoulders, there will be no end to that kingdom. Because I see the fullness of his person. I see the forever of his reign. We've got to come to verse 18, the last part, and see the finished work of Christ. I'm glad his fullness, there's nothing else can be said. I'm glad it's forever. He will reign forever and forever. But ladies and gentlemen, I want you to see the finished work of Christ. The finished work of Christ. This what makes him fulfilling. This what makes him forever. This what makes him the conquering Christ. His finished work. Before I read it, let me preface it with this. What Adam started and couldn't stop, Jesus finished. Glory. That's Cracker Barrel worthy right there. Somebody will take a piece of wood, paint it on somewhere, a piece of wood, and sell it at Cracker Barrel for $40 and say, I was there when the old man said it. Did you get a hold of what I just said? What Adam The first man started and couldn't ever stop. Jesus finished it. You say, well, what did the first Adam start? Sin, sorrow, weeping, crying, and death. And brother, from Genesis chapter 3 all the way to Calvary. All the prophets, all the kings, all the priests, all the true religion and all the fake religionists were trying to stop what old Adam got started. Sin and the curse and the penalty thereof. But it's like everything else man messes with. Instead of getting better, it got worse. More people became sinful. More people became a sufferer. And more people had to die. And he couldn't stop it. It seemed like the debt would never be paid. The demand would never be met. And brother Adam, the first man, plunged us all in an upheaval. And what he started and couldn't stop. And what religion couldn't stop. And the king couldn't stop. And the priest couldn't stop. And the tabernacle and all the other lambs and the sacrifices. There was one that came on the scene and said, I am Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the first begotten of the dead, the 
prince of the kings of the earth. I am alpha. I am omega. I am the beginning. I am the end. I am he that was, which is, which is to come. Somebody help me right there. The Lord God Almighty. And to show you, I got credentials to back it up. I finished it. What Adam started and couldn't stop, I got it finished. And to show you, I got it finished. Look what I've got right here. I've got the keys to death and hell. The debt has been paid. The demand has been met. The devil has been defeated. The grave has been robbed. And debts have the stinger pulled out. Now when a child of God dies, it's just a transition from this world to the glory world because of the finished work of Christ. He's got the keys to death and hell and the grave. He accomplished it. He accomplished it all. You know, somebody that's got the keys means they can let you in or they can let you out. I can't believe how this church made fun of their pastor two weeks ago. Me and my precious wife had been up all night trying to travel and get to where we're supposed to be and me here, her there. And, you, and I mean, it was, it was a, it was a time. So she's in the car and she's going one way and I jump off at an airport and I fly this way. My son's on vacation. My daughter's with Ma, with her mother and, and, and Brother Shane graciously picks me up at the airport and we get down to my house and I said, Shane, I have no keys. He said, but you've got a little pad on the side. I know, but lightning struck it and it don't work either. I have several warm beds in that house, along with some other interesting items, but I've got a warm bed in that house. I got a stove that's never been turned on, but bless God, we got one. Say amen right there. And I got a refrigerator full of some, something to eat to keep you from starving to death. I got a whole closet full of shoes and clothes. I got four vehicles in the garage. One in the basement, one in the back, two in the garage. But I got no keys. I can't start one of them. So here I am on a Saturday night with no transportation. No clean clothes. No clean drawers. No clean skivvies. No toothbrush. No nothing. Because I got on a plane. I said, I get home. I have all the stuff I need. I got cars and can't drive it. Got a bed. Can't sleep in it. Got clothes and can't wear it. I got some snacks and can't eat it. All for the simple reason, I ain't got no keys. I, I, I got a Ford F-150, the greatest truck God ever let be created. But you got to have a key. My wife keeps a beautiful home. You can eat off our floor. She's messed clean, but I ain't got no keys. Man, I got a Gatorade in the refrigerator and can't drink it. They ain't got no keys. I got a Mustang, a Ford Mustang. They ain't got no keys. I'm going to tell you something. It don't matter how nice a house you got, how much food you got, what kind of car you got. If you don't have no keys, baby, you ain't sleeping, you ain't eating, and you ain't driving. Because nobody can let you in, nobody can let you out. You ain't got no keys. Brother Shane over here and Miss Heather being the wonderful staff people they are. I called Brother Tom. He said, ain't my problem. 
he still works here. So you know he didn't say that to me. But Brother Shane was the closest one to me. He said, hey, I'll just haul you around. I'll haul you around. We'll borrow Heather's car and run Heather's gas. And he said, not only that, you can stay in my basement. So I went over there and I stayed in their basement. Boy, you ought to hear the way they fuss and fight during the night. Lord, I'm, uh, and man, I'm eating their food. I'm riding their, I had all of this at my disposal, but I didn't have no key. Sunday afternoon at four o'clock, we finally get to catch the breath to call my wife and how you doing? And, and I'm fine. How you doing? And I told her my plight and she begins to giggle. I said, you wouldn't want me to laugh at you if it was you without your curling iron and all them bottles of makeup. Can I get a witness? And by the way, you fellas that get mad at your wife taking a long time to get ready, if you see her one time without all that on, you're going to thank God she's got that stuff. And she made the statement. She said, Kathy and Earl have a key to Joanna's car. And on Joanna's key ring is a key to our house. And I didn't giggle. I said, you mean I wore the same underwear for two days? No toothbrush? Slept in somebody's strange house? Had to ride around with somebody? And I had a key all the time, but I just didn't know it? Son, I called Miss Watt. I said, bring me them keys. And son, she brought me them keys. I got in my house, took a shower, changed clothes, got in my, and I'm just telling you, I missed, I missed all of that because I didn't have a key. But what's more sad than that, Catherine? I had one all the time, but I just didn't know about it. Here we go. We're going home. Are you ready? I don't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven. And I'm not going to hell. Somebody hit me, my God. I ain't going to hell. And I am going to heaven. Because I got me some keys, brother. And you know what's sad about it? Before I was ever born, before I was ever created, before I was ever a pleasant thought in the mind of my mom and my daddy, the keys had already been gotten. The keys have already been made. And one day I heard the gospel and I found out them keys. I want to tell you that you don't have to die without God and go to hell. You can go to heaven someday because he's the conquering Christ and he's got the keys and he's always had the keys and he always will have the keys. And the only thing I know better than having the keys and always having the keys, he's also the door. And let me say this in closing. There's only one that can bar the gates of hell. There's only one that can keep you and I from burning in hell. His name is Jesus. And there's only one that can open the door to heaven for you and I. And his name is Jesus. He's the conquering Christ.